3: So our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities.
1: We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Well, Welcome, my friends. Welcome back to another episode. Stephen, how are you? I am so well, my friend. I am staying cool.
3: Uh, Billings is in like the middle of probably a two-week streak of being upper 90s or low hundreds. Pretty intense. Wow. Yeah.
1: That is pretty intense. Staying cool. Are you drinking a nice, uh, cool drink? Actually, before we talk about drinks, yeah, um, we should mention we are joined by another Highline host this week. We have our very own Steven Torna from The Whiskey Bench hello how's it going today guys so well my friend great. this is another steven um, i think
3: josh we should say maybe i remain steven for the purposes of this show and we call him torna for the episode yeah that's a good idea just to get the delineation because like every place that torna and i go we have to set that ground rule so that it's not two of us <laughs> trying to answer the same question
2: yeah this is the pecking order um I kind of came into the friend group as the outsider. He was there first.
3: Oh, gee. So, Uh, he's always been Steven,
2: and I went by my last name, Torna.
3: Except, when I visit Bozeman now, everyone knows him as Steven, so I
1: go by Henning. True. That's funny. Well, before we uh, introduce Torna too much, what are y'all drinking?
3: Mm. Because I have worlds colliding right now between Ravel and Whiskey Bench, in honor of the Whiskey Bench, I am drinking... The iconic 11-year-old Lagavulin Scotch whiskey, the Offerman Limited, the Nick Offerman Limited run where they finish the 11-year-old whiskey in um, Guinness beer casks. And it is absolutely delightful. I just have this whiskey neat in a rocks glass and it's perfectly wonderful.
1: Delicious. Oh yeah, I guess it's worth mentioning you two are co-hosts on the Whiskey Bench, Mm -hmm. which is our sister show or sibling show if you will
3: there we go i like that yes mr torna what are you drinking
2: this afternoon? i am uh doing the unusual uh deed of drinking coffee while recording instead of a cocktail that that's unusual for me definitely but it's uh mid-afternoon and some of the work that i still need to get done today includes making some cocktails and photographing them so I will probably be having a cocktail here in a little bit. So I thought, mm, maybe I might even be having two later. So I was like, yeah, oh, I don't <laughs> think I can justify it right now. So I'm going to do a little afternoon pick me up. <laughs> Keep a sober head for Ravel <laughs> right. right now. A, a, little, a little coffee and uh, we'll dive into the tasty drinks later. That's great. Love That's that. smart.
1: Love that. I'm, I myself am going stimulant and depressant free with a black raspberry LaCroix. It's a new flavor for me mm. and it's delicious. Black raspberry. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure it was like new this month because I, I found this one and a guava one. And these ones, I think are a little bit more flavorful. Just like slightly.
3: They let the fruit steep a little longer, sit next to the <laughs> sparkling water, just a little longer. <laughs> get a they little, move it an inch closer. Just get a little more flavor out of it. I like that. <laughs> it's very All good. All right. Well,
2: I need, I, this is an important question. How do you rank like top tier sparkling waters? Mine's Spindrift, Bubbly, LaCroix, and then last, Kirkland-branded seltzer. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely last. (laughs) For me, it's a couple things. I think the texture of the bubbles is very important. LaCroix does have like a harsh kick in the back of the throat. Yes, it does. But I also don't think that flavor should be super forward. Like I think there should be enough flavor that it's interesting, but that's what I don't like about Spindrift is they use fruit juice in there. Mm -hmm. It's juicy. Oh, that's what I love. Okay. Ah, I can't do it. This is very good.
3: You guys can fight about sparkling waters, and Josh and I'll keep fighting about hot soup.
2: <laughs> oh, no, no need, no need to fight. So long as you're not the dude that's like pounding lemon Kirkland seltzer, we're all good. This is good to point
1: out. Torna, per tradition of our guest host being on Ravel, I believe you have a topic you'd like to discuss today which I've only heard a little preview of. So I don't really know where you're going to go with this or like what questions you're thinking about. So take it away.
2: Yeah, totally. I want to transition into this if I can talk a little bit about Whiskey Bench.
1: To- oh, which, yeah, please do. Yeah, absolutely. which
2: is going to be a good background to why I've been thinking about this, just the nature of the show. Sweet. So, yes, I am one of the hosts of the Whiskey Bench alongside Mr. Stephen Henning, as well as the lovely Cat Dwyer. Um, we are sister show to Ravel. We talk current events, politics, culture in general. We just kind of explore the topics that we're fascinated with that week or that month or what's been on our mind. And in that sense, I know you guys have a similar format. Each week you kind of get together and just have a nice conversation about things that have been on your mind. Mm-hmm. So we kind of do the same the same thing. But in the realm of us being... V- pretty interested in or involved in political conversations that's kind of led me to start thinking a lot about religion and politics specifically christianity and politics because i'm a christian i never really well i never thought that christianity should have a place in politics like it shouldn't be tied to some political party so something i've been really thinking about is There is a very clear and distinct push against, and I would say rightfully so, kind of the Christianity and America Christianity and Trump supporters, you know, fill in the blank more on the conservative side. But what I see with the progressive side is leaning into the progressive politics and leaning into the progressive or yeah, more progressive pundits, things like that. And to me, I see no difference but it seems to be viewed differently. So I wanted to kind of just start Mm. picking your brains about progressive Christianity, how that ties into politics. I know you guys are more familiar with it. I don't know if you consider yourself progressive Christians, but I know you guys at least probably know more progressive Christians than I do. Um, So I'd love to get some good insight from you guys and ask some questions and see kind of why is it that conservative Christianity gets Tied into a political party, and progressive Christianity gets tied into a party. And I would like to then finish maybe with discussing what we think is the healthy or more correct um, approach to politics from maybe our religious uh, religious viewpoint.
1: Wow! Oh man! Oh, there is so much in there. I really like where you're going with that because I think I know exactly what you're talking about too. My first thought off the top of my head, maybe we can explore down this path first. I think it's worth noting that some people use the same words to define different things. And I think progressive is such a great example. For instance, like progressive often gets used as a label for certain political views or like Mm -hmm. uh, certain sides of a certain issue, especially in America. But then I've also heard that term used to describe Christians, but not necessarily the politics of those Christians.
2: Right, it's to be you know what I mean? progressive in the context of whatever is being discussed. Yeah, uh, and maybe even that's not fair, right? Because it's progressive in from the perspective of, I guess, conservative Christianity. I, I don't. So you're already dealing with a weird kind of you know labeling system, but right. So what would you? Oh, see, this is where I get uh, m- my views getting muddled or muddied because muddled. <laughs> you can tell I like making cocktails. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um specifically when I'm talking about progressive Christianity, I guess I'm thinking more about the Christians that are involved in the political world that would then, you know, get tied into or be active in a political party. And so, how do you guys want to describe or define progressive Christianity. So we're kind of on the same page there. And if we can come to an agreement on some sort of definition, do you guys have any thoughts or opinions on what kind of maybe the cornerstones of, of that, uh, sect is, I just would like some insight. Mm.
3: That's a really interesting question. I think, I think if I'm hearing the question correctly, I, I think, in the context of Christianity, I've, I've come to learn that progressivism tends to either adopt or try and rediscover theologies that have been historically rejected, maybe as unorthodox. And I think progressive mm-hmm. Christians would typically come at it and say, like, wh- whoever their opposites are on, like, the conservative side of Christianity. I've heard a lot of arguments essentially saying, like, we've made things either traditional or orthodox that should have never been considered like the bedrock of Mm. Christianity, you know? So like a progressive Christian, like for me, I think the biggest one, if we want to go straight for it is questions about like the inerrancy or the inspiration of the Bible itself. Um, Sure. Like a conservative Christian would hold to a position essentially saying like that the Bible is God's word and that it is like, inerrant in teaching us spiritual truths and i think if we're defining our terms correctly like a lot of people can get on board with that but i think the progressive side of christianity tends to reject questions like that and maybe it's just more out of a is it willingness or or openness to explore new ideas and i don't know look look for things that appear more coherent man that really i don't want to make it sound like conservative christians don't do that what am I trying to say? Josh, help well, me out Well, what you're here. reminding
1: me of, too, is that I think I hear more Christians that would probably be labeled progressive. Mm-hmm. I hear a lot of people talk about uh, like the trajectory of Christianity. I, I hear that language used a lot. Mm. And I think that, I don't know, I just go back to how, like, we kind of talked about it a little bit in our last episode that we did about politics, but conservatism conservativism versus progressivism is typically defined as like one one side is m- more emphasizing the past and one side is more emphasizing the future. So I associate that kind of trajectory mm. language with pr- we are progressing somehow in our thought or in our society or in our faith together like we are very forward facing versus I think a lot of conservatives get painted as like you are trying to harken back to the past um mm-hmm. We are rooted in history, uh, we are rooted in tradition, and that's where the emphasis lies, or that's where the anchor lies.
2: Mm. Okay, so this is very interesting, and here's an important context for people listening as well. Go for it. I was raised in a Baptist church in a very small town, and it was a meh experience. I have very negative (laughs) memories of it. Then later... Ended up becoming Presbyterian and had a great experience. And I love everyone at the church that I went to. They're all incredible people. But now I'm in this weird position where I, I want to be orthodox. Oh, interesting. And it's rocking my world the more I explore it and learn about it. And they're so uninterested in being tied to any political party that it's kind of refreshing. Mm. And they're so invested in the beauty of what is the kingdom that it's like overwhelming talking mm. to these people. And as I've been meeting more orth- orthodox people, maybe mm. this sounds crazy, but like there's something different about them. Wow. The way they talk, the way they think about the world, the way they view the world, it's so inspirational, mm. but they have this weird, cause you just described like what conservatism sometimes is uh, labeled as, and what progressivism is sometimes labeled as there's both of those spectrums. Hmm.
3: Yeah. They are right.
2: so deeply rooted in ancient tradition, which I think is beautiful. And they respect the founders of the church and their thoughts. And they believe that they knew what was going on, that they were intelligent people. They value all the imagery and things like that. But then on the other hand, they have such a long view of what it is to build a kingdom and to see the church flourish that they're they're spreading very wide in both directions and it's you know Mm -hmm. one of the first introductions i had to it is and this might still happen it's not the case anymore due to some um, covid related issues but down in the flathead valley of montana they are looking to build a very large orthodox cathedral Mm. and i saw the plans for it and i was offered an opportunity to help work on it and that kind of got me introduced to a bunch of orthodox christians and the way that they were building it is completely modularly so panels can be taken off and the actual timber structure could be repaired because their goal is to have it standing 2000 years from now whoa 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 what that's incredible <laughs> people don't think like that anymore and wow. the thought that and then they were going to have an artist come in from Europe and do all these beautiful paintings and everything was made so that it could be taken care of and repaired because they know and they believe that the kingdom is going to thrive. Yet they take wow. all of that beautiful wisdom and knowledge from the past. Mm. And so that's what's I mean, that's just been completely rocking my world recently uh, mm. and kind of making me rethink a lot of stuff, but um, also talking about progressivism and conservatism, why is it then that more conservative, in quote, again, we're talking about the context of like Western America specifically. Mm-hmm. Right. But why aren't there, or seemingly there isn't, more like traditional conservative Christians that are progressive politically and vice versa? Why isn't there more progressive Christians that are still conservative politically? They seem to coincide almost exclusively with the corresponding political party.
3: Hmm. Wow. I, I mean, that's, that's a huge tangle to ravel out. I think our history in America certainly lends itself to that kind of alignment. Oh, definitely. Because I mean, eventually specific policy actions become tied to specific values that are informed by your religious convictions. So Abortion being a huge one for the conservative side of our country, like of course, we all know the the outliers or the uh exception to the rule, but typically you'll 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 find people who are like fully pro-life against abortion. they naturally will line up with the party that has adopted that as part of their platform. you know I, I think that's kind of the main thing
2: right, certain key issues maybe in the past that have kind of created those divides and then just as time has gone by more and more, it's just like, Oh, now we're just kind of a part of this. Right. Yeah, exactly.
3: Well, so like for me, one, one major piece of transformation from our youth group days, Torna was kind of coming around to being like LGBTQ affirming, especially just learning recently that my wife herself is bisexual. Mm -hmm. And for me, like, um, like coming around to that theological stance, immediately it just tunes me into, oh, there's a lot more people who are this way, who value these things, and they happen to be like Democrats, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm going to go hang out with people who are more like me, and then eventually you're just like, you're all just swimming in the same water just by the nature of like-minded values attracting each
1: other. Torna, do you know where our artwork is partially inspired from for Ravel?
2: I do not, actually.
1: Okay, super fun yeah those strands on the, our artwork represent yep. emily steven and i oh okay
2: yes i do know that the colors correspond uh-huh shout out and guys if you're on instagram pay attention to the color of the square for the quotes because it corresponds to hey, a individual that's person. true he's figured it that's out true. yes was i not was this a secret like this was like a easter egg that people needed to find out no, that's good.
3: Actually, yeah, I don't know if we've mentioned that before. Well, here's a new layer to it. Tell them the next part, Josh.
1: So, this is going to be new for you, I think, Torna. Those endpoints of those strands represent where Stephen, and Emily, and I fall on the political spectrum. Mm, okay. So, like, it's based off of a political compass. Yep. Which, I mean, has its own limitations for sure. Like, you could, you could critique that model, but it represents the scale from authoritarian to libertarian libertarian right and you can be like authoritarian left authoritarian right right yeah and then left and right so like for instance obviously all three of us fall pretty south of like libertarian leaning from the middle Mm -hmm. but in terms of like left and right like we're kind of like equally distributed along the spectrum Mm -hmm. and what's so interesting to me about like the conservative or progressive labels is that Even those who identify with those labels, like let's say someone like votes Democrat every single time, they do not hold the same opinions as everyone else who votes Democrat every single time.
0: Oh,
2: definitely. Which is so interesting to me. Because I've I've had people take the political compass test and I've even taken it and been like, oh, I bet, you know, I'm here. And just the nature of politics and how extreme it can be. I thought I would be a lot more further right on the libertarian... And I I was almost dead center, and Henning was just a little bit left of that. (laughs) And so I was like, oh, all right. That's not what I was expecting, and same thing, right? And
1: And I find that, kind of going back to what you were saying about, like, the overlap between quote-unquote conservative Christians and conservative politics, or the same thing with progressives, it's so interesting to me that the same is true, it seems, for theology. Like, even if someone tends to have more conservative or traditional theology or orthodox, like, whatever you want to emphasize there, like that doesn't mean that they still all agree on the same theological convictions. Like for instance, I feel like a great example of conservative or traditional theology is uh, complementarianism, right? Like the Mm. men and women fall into very specific, equal but different Mm. roles of gender within church and the kingdom. And that tends to be associated with like, you are conservative, you're probably from the South, you probably vote this way, but A, not everyone, like, articulates complementarianism the same way, and B, that doesn't mean that they line up with every other conservative issue, even, like, just in terms of theology. And I think that that's so fascinating. Like, even within each of those, there's certainly a spectrum, let alone, like, the the overlap or not overlap with conservative or progressive politics. Mm
2: -hmm. Oh, man. I bet even within... See, I'm not super in this world... I can only imagine just the conflict that is around what is complementarianism. Oh, sure. Because at face value, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. That seems right. But I'm sure that people take it to the extreme. And so I'm like, oh, okay. I need to get you. You guys are giving me a nice little glimpse into this world because I get to see all the Twitter stuff going on. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I get to see so many interesting viewpoints where I'm just like, whoa, didn't know that existed. And uh, it's kind of nice, you know?
1: Okay, I'm like so like the creepy
2: creepy watcher I guess, but
1: <laughs> Torna, you made me think of something um that kind of happened in the last year in a world I'm connected to. Some of my friends go to this church or uh more accurately, they used to go to this church. Mm-hmm. The pastor regularly blogs, uh posts to Facebook. For the most part is he's very scholarly, he's very smart. Like the guy has a PhD. Like he's not he's certainly not dumb. And he, I think, makes a really good point overall. To be very reasonable, logical, backs up his claims, sorts his cites his (laughs) sources, and uh, he also makes a point to almost always take a stance on an issue, like especially from a Christian perspective. And I Mm -hmm. do think that that is refreshingly honest, like especially for someone like myself who tends to like play the middle in a lot of situations, or like I try to see things from multiple sides, or you know, try to be empathetic to. Someone who's going to disagree with me, so I, I can respect that he tries to take a stance on issues. Recently, in this last year, several people in that church, several of who were my friends, are my friends, would make public posts on social media about falling in line more with some progressive politics, especially as sure. uh, some of the Black Lives Matter movements were happening last year, and there was a lot of um, a lot more organization and. Public discourse on social media, right? So they were like making some regular posts about this. Their pastor started making very pointed blogs about Mm -hmm. quote unquote progressive Christianity not being Christianity. But what was so fascinating to me was that it seemed so obvious to me that he was confounding progressive Christianity with progressive politics. Like they were making very pointed statements about politics. And then on his blog posts, he was it it really felt like a straw man. Like he was setting up this argument of like, this is what progressive Christians really are. And that's why it's not Christianity. Like for instance, mm-hmm. he would cite this website that of course is called progressivechristianity.org. But like, who knows who made that? Because there's no like, <laughs> there's, right? like, of course, yeah, you could say it says that, but it's not like there's a, a literal progressive denomination. Like it's just kind of a label right. that people self-identify with. Mm-hmm. So like on this website, it cited things as like, well, all progressive Christians don't believe Jesus is God's son. And so he would be like, well, see, look, it says here, progressive Christians don't believe Jesus is God's son. Therefore, no one who identifies as progressive is Christian. And I was, I was kind of blown away by that huh. because I was like, they're, they're not saying anything like that. They're clearly talking, they're trying to take a progressive political stance about one or two issues. They're mm-hmm. not saying anything about that theological, like, to me, it seemed like he was trying to tear down progressive philosophy at its core when it's applied to Christianity, as in like we can discover more or new truth that like trumps older truth. But Torna, I really liked the way that you were pointing out how the Orthodox that you have encountered seem to really successfully pull off this like Christian ideal that seems like is in the Bible of like clinging to what is good, but also looking towards hope. Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. the future and like it's a it's a both and and it clearly doesn't like if we actually read what the authors are saying it doesn't seem like christianity fits clearly into a binary political system
2: right i mean nothing like that existed when those writers were alive and context of when it was written is obviously really important so that's that's really interesting so this is making me think maybe maybe what i'm seeing then is that In the United States specifically, we're so entrenched in politics that instead of expressing your Christian faith by being a Christian, you try to express it through politics. Mm. Oh, So it's like we Mm. think that, you know, this thing that's going on is a noble cause. And instead of fighting for that as the church, we're just going to conveniently latch on to the party that is doing that. Or the Uh, candidate that's doing that. Yeah. And so it's like, this is I'm just working through this. Because this can be said for people on the right or the left, right? Especially with abortion or whatever. It's, Uh, hey, I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to believe this or I'm convicted and I do believe this. I'm just going to vote for the guy that's going to fix it.
1: Check that off the list. Did my deed.
0: mm.
1: And maybe that's why it's so polarizing. Hmm. Because of something like single issue voting? Could be, yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, because I think you're right. I think that happens on either side of whatever issue. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, a couple episodes ago, we were talking about death penalty, and there's like, obviously, Christians from multiple denominations that are outspoken death penalty abolitionists, and they feel very convicted by that. But at the same time, there's probably Christians out there also that feel very convicted by bringing justice to victims of crimes, and therefore feel like they are convicted to... Not vote for abolition, (laughs) which is so fascinating to me. And that's
2: actually really, that's a really great example of kind of defeating my, my opinion of, of how it, how polarizing the spectrum is because I actually know a lot of more traditional Christians that would be against the death penalty. Oh, fascinating. um, And some that obviously are for it or limited. um, And then I'm, I'm imagining that it's somewhat true for the more progressive. That's the only term we really have to use, but the more Mm -hmm. progressive Christianity but maybe it's because it's not really a huge voting issue. It's, it doesn't come up that often. I mean, this year has been the first year in a long time that it's even really in discourse um, in a while. So that could shift, obviously. Whereas things like um, abortion and welfare and all sorts of things like that are a lot more uh, on the forefront of conversation, um, which all can be
3: discussed um, through the lens of what you believe. Mm Have either of you met people, uh, like, real-life human beings in your life that perfectly fit the stereotypes that often get, like, set up as the ideological opponent? Like, have you ever—I don't think I've ever met someone who is conservative in their politics and conservative in their theology that I've heard, like, progressive Christians or progressive— politically leaning people i just feel like we might all be guilty of just attacking caricatures that don't really exist
2: right just some boogeyman that doesn't exist
1: yeah yeah like the the classic stereotypes i feel like are conservatives critiquing the sjw's that are just trying to indoctrinate through academia or on the other side the liberals scared of the conservatives who like can't progress to care about other people or like only want to vote for Trump because of a single issue or because it's good for them or yeah I think you're right I think that a lot of times we are arguing with caricatures of the other side
3: and I think it's it's one thing to have the argument with the internet troll that is embodying what you think they should be just Mm -hmm. to get a rise out of you versus having a real discussion with a human being whether that be even over a podcast is, is a step in the right direction versus like having a Twitter argument with someone who, even in good faith, disagrees with you. I, I just feel like the uh, arenas in which we have our conversations about theological or political differences are built just to like, it's a race to the bottom to see how <laughs> how bad a human being can you be in a relationship with another person that you've never met, you know?
1: Okay, here's a question. Right. Because now you got me thinking about this. Do you think realistically that religion or even just specifically Christianity and Jesus can be used to meet in the middle as a point to like bridge the political gaps? Like for instance, if I feel like I'm more liberal or libertarian leaning and I want to reach across the aisle to someone who is much more conservative than me but I can recognize that uh, that our middle ground is Jesus or Christianity or our experience of it even if we don't completely have the same theology mm-hmm. can I realistically use that to reach across the aisle and say hey we we meet here this is our overlap these are our convictions and this is our starting point so let's figure out how to relate to each other is that realistic
2: i think that's realistic and i believe that's how it should be done but i don't
3: think that's the route that's being taken Right by most. I mean by most. Honestly, right. Josh, I feel like you're describing what a healthy church ought to be with right with many people congregating and like uh, the church is the place where maybe once a week you meet or however that works for you now. Like church, capital C church, ought to be the place where we can all come together in recognition of like of Jesus Christ being our teacher, being our we are being discipled in the way of Jesus and we can hold vastly different opinions. And that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of what the, um, the sacraments are designed to do, like through baptism and Eucharist is essentially like baptism is the outward sign that you are joining a community of people who have done this before you and that we are, we've all passed through the same waters. And in the same way, like sharing the Eucharist is the way of like the people of God saying We're all here at the same table, partaking of the same bread and wine, representing the body and blood. You know, like, Mm -hmm. here's the thing here is the common ground, and we can be outrageously loving people out in the world. And I can vote for Joe Biden, and you can vote for Donald Trump, and we're okay with that. You know, sounds like church to me, if I'm honest.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, to me, that sounds really attractive. Like, as someone who I think I truly feel more. Centrist, I know that gets a lot of hate <laughs> from a lot of people. Yeah, but like, I, I Take don't think I'm that extreme. Anything,
3: like, you centrist. <laughs>
1: <laughs> me too, though. Like, sure, maybe I lean a certain direction on certain issues, but broad spectrum considered, I don't think I'm anywhere close to being clearly one side or the other.
3: Yeah, right.
1: And right. I've encountered pushback from both sides because they see me as too left, or I come across as like too. Right, or like too conservative or too progressive, like whether it's theology or politics, which is a so fascinating to me. And the, part
2: of that is just a symptom of where you live. Um, totally, you know, it'd be a lot easier for someone, you know, around Montana somewhere to look at some of the things that I believe and be like, "Ooh, this guy might be a Democrat." Whereas, mm. in a correct me if I'm wrong, but like Seattle truly is a pretty progressive city on the political spectrum as far as cities go in the United States. I could see how it could be pretty easy to just have some moderate opinions and be labeled as conservative or whatever. And and part of that is the Overton window has shifted so far left that a lot of like moderates are now being labeled as like right wing people by Hmm. the more extreme media outlets and things like that.
1: Wait, say more about the Overton window. I don't know if I've heard of that.
2: So it's like the window that you're viewing the political spectrum at for this example. And as time has progressed, politics in the United States has just trended towards being more left leaning. Sure. So that means if you look at historically how people have voted and everything, the way that the Republican party, believe it or not has shifted is they've actually smushed in and become a lot more moderate. Whereas the Democrat, the democratic party has started to kind of expand out and shifted a lot further left so now when you look at it you assume that the far right spectrum i'm using the far right incorrectly here because you've got like the far right alt-right conversation oh sure but like, yeah the more conservative republicans people would label as like being far right but in reality they're pretty moderate from like looking at it 20 years ago
1: um, i wonder if the same is true of american christianity for yeah, instance i wow. think conservative christians get a lot of flack for a lot of different issues I mean, progressive too, for sure. But like, I think that I I almost want to say that I think conservative Christians are caricatured in a similar way to conservative politics in America. Mm. Do do you kind of know what I'm saying? Right. Because we have as just a society, again,
2: we're using the word progressive, but like we have become more progressive as time has (laughs) totally (laughs) gone by, right? So it's like even the more conservative people are further, in quote, left- than they were 50 years ago and that's right you can see that with with a lot of opinions that the church has and Hmm. you know or
1: like for instance with the with my complementarian example i think complementarians often get criticized as being quote-unquote outdated or too patriarchal or Mm -hmm. something like that but like realistically someone who is complementarian man or woman they're not puritans like they yeah. <laughs> they don't view women as slaves like right. even not if you can all. even if you want to argue critically that like your view of women is less than for all intents and purposes they still have human rights like they they're very much like still civil <laughs> citizens and right. they're not being abused well i mean by and large as a theology they're not being abused even though i still think something like complementarianism could be abusive mm, sure right you know what i'm saying but i think that like that caricature is unfortunately common but that's just an example like i think that that could be said of any side but my point being i think that maybe we've seen a similar shift in the way that conservative and progressive christianity is viewed in the us similar to our politics
2: definitely and if you are track i mean if you think that there is some tie between politics and religion then it would make sense that they would slowly follow with that window that's shifting so that's actually really good observation i would definitely agree with that
0: mm.
1: we're going to take a quick break to say a few thank yous then we'll be back to our conversation thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast y'all are such a huge encouragement to us if you'd like to support future episodes of ravel visit patreon.com ravelpod or by tapping the link in the show notes
2: Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts and to everyone who contributes to our weekly
1: discussions at Ravel Pod on Instagram and Twitter.
3: And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color.
1: And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, No Normal People.
3: Yeah, so that, that's where Nick and I met. We met in Sydney, Australia. Wow. What? Yeah, which is so cool. Is he Australian? So, yeah, so, no, that's always everybody's friend. Well, I'm not no. saying no as in disappointment. Well, you <laughs> should be. I'm disappointed. Come on, husband. No. no. She probably gets that question all the time.
0: Uh, <laughs> so people like, oh, my God, is he Australian? Like, no, he's actually from
3: Germany. What? Which is, which is still cool, uh, yeah. Are you serious
1: <laughs> right now? I love this. Oh. Yeah, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. So cool. I yeah, love I
2: love
1: you, Steven. And now, back to the conversation.
3: I wonder if another symptom, too, is, like, the snowball effect of the labels we use for people who are different than us, you know, conservative Christians versus progressive Christians. There's a snowball effect, I think, that we're all guilty of, of, like... It's it's like adjacent to simplicity bias, which is essentially like, oh, I know your opinions on the Second Amendment, so therefore you must also agree with like five or ten other planks of the conservative movement, you know, either like, it, like in politics. Like, I, I know your opinions on the Second Amendment, so therefore you must fall in line with all the other people who think that. And it's all based on that like caricature of... The planks of the platform get built up so big and now our political movements have become such huge monoliths that it's like, oh, well, you agree with one, so you must just like fall in line. And Right. Yeah, exactly. That makes us jump to so many assumptions about very real people who have concerns about the way our world is working right now and people who have worries about that and want to see change. But yeah, I think jumping to conclusions just based on what you might know about <laughs> the one or two things you happen to find out about them and where they align, you just kind of lump them into that whole thing too, because it's easier for you cognitively to do that.
1: Man, I I really agree with that, I think. like I think that that is exactly why we fall into a conversation like this, where we're talking about conservative versus progressive christianity even though i don't Mm. think everyone thinks we're at war with each other yeah but just in the same way that we fall into like conservative or progressive politics like it's just so much easier to like find the line of best fit like even though we know in our hearts that everyone is different like steven you literally have a show about no normal people yep and how everyone is different
3: yep (laughs) that's what our network (laughs) is even though we
1: all know that yeah
3: that's what highline is (laughs) you know like Right, we're normal people having these kind of conversations, whether it be politics on the whiskey bench or theology unravel. We're all very complex.
1: It's classic in-group, out-group. Like it's just so easy and <sighs> natural for us to gravitate towards an in-group yeah. and form an out-group, and certainly for politics and religion. Like, I mean, I feel like that's why everyone jokes about that. Like, don't talk about it because, like, you're just gonna create walls for yourself. Mm. And I feel like the biggest challenge is like creating a bridge. And I think that that is partly what fascinates me still so much about Jesus is that like even in our so fragmented American Christianity like obviously we have older denominations like the orthodox and catholic but then we have like all of these protestant shootoffs and then there's like th- this other thing called the cults over here and like what the frick do we do with that? Like why do we have that so much in America? <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. And like like even with how fragmented we are in our American Christianity it still fascinates me so much that like Jesus as a figure and even as a political figure from 2000 years ago, somehow we're like still able to bridge the gap with him. If we do it right, like theoretically, like on paper, it seems like it should work. Even yeah. if we don't make a point to practice it. All yeah.
3: The time. Well, and it's, if you do it right, it is very humanizing and it creates a lot of common ground for the church to operate in the world. I think if you do it incorrectly, though, if you if you go about it the wrong way, basically at either side of the spectrum can attempt to weaponize the person of Jesus as like, of course, Jesus was a Republican or of course, Jesus was a socialist. Right. Exactly.
2: Right. And that's and that's where I'm. that's what I'm seeing. And that's where some of my frustration rises up, because I, I was talking to Stephen about this before we started recording. And it's, you know, it's really easy to point out how wrong like the christian nationalism is but when i see the other side of it and the christians latching on to other you know political figures whoever it might be biden or bernie or whatever i see no difference mm. like i specifically I'm like it's the, it's the same side of or two sides of the same coin putting your your trust in politics and the man behind you know
1: whatever instead of in the kingdom which then then i think the question is i mean i think pretty much everyone christian or not can recognize that no political figure i don't know i guess i'm saying this but obviously there's still some crazies out there i feel like a lot of people at the very least can recognize that no political figure completely matches where you are at politically mm. because we're all different like maybe maybe you agree on the big important things or something like that but like like that's why everyone thinks that politicians are corrupt because we never agree with them.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Like it's inherent in the system that you won't agree with them on every point. (laughs) Right.
1: And I feel like the question that we're left with is, especially as religious or um, formerly religious people who like grew up in Christianity or those who feel like they're deconstructing or raveling or like anywhere along that spectrum. I feel like the Mm -hmm. question remains of like kind of what you were saying at first, Torna, like how can we have the best of both worlds? Like, how can we remember where we've come from and also, like, look towards the future and somehow in this binary political system that we're in, how do we navigate that? Like, how can we hold to our convictions and either advocate for or vote for what we think is important without becoming polarized?
2: Right, exactly. Because it's not like Jesus, I mean, he never preached to not at all, you know, to not engage with the place you live with, right? Right. Right. But it's just, it's just, just makes me question it's, you know, is there just so much, just from a practical standpoint, is there just so much leverage that can be used politically that Christianity or religion should use it as like a tool in promoting the kingdom, which I would say obviously is not the case, right? And that's where you start getting to Christian nationalism and
3: things like that. I I think it's easy for the person of Jesus and what he preached in the gospels to um like given the nature of the tool we have in our hands as the bible and the way um modern philosophy and theology has developed i think it's really easy to use jesus and his words in like the proof texting manner like searching out texts searching out arguments that like happen to already confirm and back up what you might've been convicted of outside of theology or outside of the Bible. And I think the move, I think the, the, uh, dramatically dire move there is we're trying to make Jesus fit something that he was never going to fit. And we're failing to realize that like, or we're failing to keep in mind that in fact, it's us who ought to be like molding and being shaped by Jesus, by Christ. Instead of us trying to, like, force him in a box where he doesn't belong in order for us to confirm our uh, preconceived conservative or progressive beliefs, mm-hmm. you know, that we're trying to stand on.
2: Right. And I and I understand why it's so polarizing because, I mean, Jesus is, this <laughs> sounds so stupid. Jesus is Jesus, right? He's, like, <laughs> the most important thing. Jesus is big hype. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's the man, right? So. Yeah. I understand why people can have their political views and think, oh, this aligns with what Jesus was saying. And obviously, if someone else comes in and says, no, actually, Jesus is on our side. Hmm. I mean, I don't... Yeah, now we're playing tug of war with a person. Right. (laughs) Right. It's not surprising that that causes strife. Right. Obviously, if that's so deep and, and a powerful influence in your life, like, that's something you're going to hold on to dearly. So, mm.
1: well, and it's the ultimate trump card, too. Like if you are going to call yourself a Christian and that you are following what Jesus mm-hmm. said and preached. Totally. Like that's it's so, it's just so easy to weaponize when someone else is like, "Well, Jesus said this and therefore I vote this way." It's so right. easy to turn around and be like, "No, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said this because you can recognize that that's the thing to center around if you're going to call yourself a Christian.
3: Yeah, well, and and savvy uh political operatives and marketing people recognize that Jesus resonates with a lot of people. So, of course, they're mm-hmm. going to try True. and use those as slogans or use those as uh, you know, to signal that you're in the in-group over here on this team and that team doesn't really get what Jesus
1: is about. I'm just reminded of I don't even know for how many hundred years the church functioned as the hospital. Mm. Like yep. the church started hospitals, the yeah. Catholic church. And like it, it wasn't policy. It wasn't a national program. As, as great as those things can be and as many people's lives as that affects, so, like lots of things like that in lots of countries, like for the longest time, the church took the burden on themselves when Jesus said, feed the poor, the sick, the hungry. Mm. not go vote for it. I mean, I guess like, of course you can see voting as like fulfilling things like that, but like it is, it is practically different for you to go do it yourself. And I think that that's so striking. Like I think that um, uh, specifically in America, and maybe this is just a modern day thing. Based on my experience, I think the church has gotten away from doing very practical stuff like that and more of the go vote for this mindset.
3: I have a theory about that. I, I think essentially it was practical. It was not only practical, but it was like it was the natural course of action for the church to go establish a hospital in a place that needed a hospital because our world used to feel a lot bigger. But now that we have like streamlined communication through the Internet, the way our world has kind of transformed and like the planet has become the small village again. I think we're running into like the church looking at a problem like homelessness in America and Mm -hmm. being very daunted at the scale at which the problem presents itself. And the government and like leading actors in our country have successfully essentially just uh, tried to prove or convinced many, many people that the government is the only thing that can handle things at that scale. Right. So I think it Mm. becomes natural for the church to kind of offload that work and say, like, well, I can't solve homelessness everywhere, but because the government is already everywhere, if I vote for the right people, then the problem will be solved. Rather than like the local church community and not just one specific building and one specific gathering, but like if the network of churches in Billings, Montana agreed to solve homelessness in Billings it would be solved. I get,
2: yeah, and historically it's been seen that the power of of what the church can do is incredible. And that's, you know, this conversation is why I'm drawn to the Orthodox Church so much as well, because it vibes with my um, (laughs) if any of you listen to Whiskey Bench or you hop in, you'll you'll know my, like, personal responsibility. Like, don't let the government take care of you. You know, tooting my horn about that. Mm -hmm. But I just believe so deeply in what the individual can do. And not the individual, but like your community, just not the government, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. An activated Um,
3: group of like-minded people.
2: Right. And my intent and what I'm about to say is not to be insulting, but also as I've been trying to understand more what it is to have a kingdom mindset, what it is to want to build the kingdom, voting for someone and dusting your hands off, even if they can solve the problem, isn't. Maybe it ultimately will give glory to God, but like, it's, I don't know, I'm convicted. This is my personal conviction. I need to get out there and do something for the glory of God. Mm. And it starts with me.
3: Yeah, well, it's like recognizing that God very much, very well might be positioning you to be the answer to your own prayer, you know, mm-hmm. like, like you ask God for something in prayer and God's like, okay, go do it then. <laughs> <laughs> right. Instead of some miracle that is just gonna make it happen or just an offloaded responsibility through a vote or something. Hmm
1: One thing I'm still left with too, tell me what you think about this, because I think this ties in a little bit to what you were just saying, Torna. I'm struck by the amount of Christians who, even though they very obviously sit on the political spectrum, like I feel like a lot of Christians Uh, tend to deny that they are political in church. Like Christians Mm -hmm. like to act like they also have a separation of church and state, even though the whole point of that was so that the government didn't control the church, not the other way around. But I feel like a lot of Christians like to act like they are separate from the political conversations, even if they have clearly political overtones. And I'm struck by the amount of Christians who preach against trusting and putting your faith in political figures like Mm. the president is not going to save you your governor is not going to save you jesus is the one who saves you therefore these are the things we should care about or something like that like i'm just struck by like no matter where someone falls on the political spectrum a like almost a denial of being politicized but b clearly being politicized Mm. do you know what i'm talking about
3: yeah i can definitely recognize that i like where you're headed
1: and I'm not really sure where to go with that. I'm just like, I'm kind of confused by that, <laughs> to be honest. Because like, on one hand, I agree. Like, I don't think a single politician or political party is going to save us. Like, I think that we can better society. And I think that we can be convicted by our beliefs, whether we still identify as religious or not. I think that we can still, in some, like, somehow harken back to tradition and like, values that we are founded on as a country or just personally and i think that we can still like look forward to the future with hope that things are going to get better like for instance i was just talking to a friend about this the other day the global poverty rate in the last 30 years has plummeted like mm-hmm. yes we are richer now overall not just like by numbers like who has more money but like overall we are so wealthy in the history of humanity like the amount of people in the world who have a refrigerator and access to the internet is just astounding. Mm. And... Uh, yes. Like, <laughs> my buddy brought up a really great point the other day. He was like, Louis Fourteenth would have killed for a refrigerator. He would have killed millions of people for that. <laughs> <laughs> and like, the, the amount of people that just like, like, even if you're quote unquote in poverty and you are not well off in a lot of other ways, like, mm. we have a lot of access to technology and well-being and... Mm-hmm. Like, so many things. So, like, on the broad scale, things are getting better, even if we still have a lot of other problems to fix. And I think I'm a very optimistic person at heart. And, like, even though I I still can't quite figure out, like, what my relationship is going to be to our political system. Like, in some ways, I feel very convicted not to vote for a president. Mm, yeah. And I, I, I can't quite articulate that in a way that sounds politically conscious. <laughs> like, but... I still feel very convicted that things can get better and that we mm-hmm. can be a huge part of that somehow.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what I'm wrestling with is like understanding what it is for me to be active in my faith. Like, I don't think there's a duty to vote for a president. As someone that loves politics, if you listen to the show, you know, <laughs> I, I've, I think a lot about politics, but it's kind of rocking my world right now because more and more I'm realizing like, we're part of the world where politics is prominent, but like there, it's just there are things that are so much more important than that when it comes to my Christianity. Mm-hmm. But then you hear again on both sides, like, well, you can't not vote
3: for a president, especially if you're a Christian. Oh, try me, watch me, just watch me not vote for right. <laughs> either.
1: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so, uh, well, what's interesting about that is I've heard pushback myself from. Both sides. Like, I've heard people push back to me personally against that who identify very differently politically. Like, Mm -hmm. everything from no, our nation is founded on Christianity and based off of our Christian values, like, that is exactly why we have a right to vote and that's why we need to vote. And I've heard everything from that all the way to, well, it's a really privileged thing for you to say, that you shouldn't vote. Like the, the very fact that you feel the freedom to not vote means that you have so much power in our country as it stands. And mm-hmm. you need to think of the marginalized and the oppressed because that's what Jesus calls us to. Mm. And you should vote because you have the power to. And I think that's so fascinating.
3: I think what this conversation highlights too is something I am very much like the broken record on Whiskey Bench about is we ought to be caring a lot more about are local governments and state governments before the federal government. And in the same way, I think that actually correlates pretty well to like the local church ought to be empowered to solve local problems. And at the scales that we're trying to deal with everything, like, of course, it seems right to go and vote for the president that embodies or half embodies even the values that you want to see happen in the world. But I think I think where we get into trouble is when we're trying to impose either policies or uh, theological values, even that would indeed very much serve a community like Billings, but wouldn't necessarily have the same impact or go over the same way to a community, say, in like Tulsa, Oklahoma. You know, like the church in Tulsa has work to do to wrestle with its history especially through like the Tulsa race massacre that we just recognized a couple months ago like the anniversary of that like the church in Tulsa very much has that work to do but in a very like frankly not diverse place in the country like Montana in Billings especially like you know like there are things in Billings that the church can be working on that doesn't have to be the same and if we are plugged into local communities that are looking at local problems and doing our work politically as voters and as, uh, you know, political operatives in our country, first in our localities and then our states, I, I think we're just getting so much closer to like the root of the problem. You know, like your vote for mayor of Seattle, Josh, has a lot more power than your vote for president because of right. the nature right. of its proximity you know so your vote means more for mayor than it does for president and you know i think in the, i think in the same way the local church has a lot more power than like what uh conventions and international denominations try to accomplish at the higher levels of their leadership too
2: yeah i think that's smart and we've talked about this on the whiskey bench plenty of times but another problem with kind of or maybe a reason why politics are such a focus is we live in a world now that's very interconnected. You know, it's hard to focus on your community when the entire world is on your radar. Right. Yes. And it's easy. And yes, there are places that have much worse problems than where you're at. That's almost true for everyone. No matter where you're at, there's always somewhere else that's worse. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that leads to, resorting to politics specifically as a means of finding hope instead of finding it in what you believe and it can lead to you know wanting to focus on helping elsewhere which is great Mm. um i don't know if you had a conversation about that um yet as far as outreach or missions or whatever you want to talk about there's i know there's a lot of oh boy have we had the missions conversations (laughs) <laughs> very crazy uh discourse going on around that but regardless of what you think about that it's easy to get tied up in the troubles of the world and forget that there is a lot of hope and potential to help the community uh adjacent to you mm. immediately so hmm.
1: that's good i think the biggest thing i'm thinking about now as we're kind of wrapping up is kind of the opposite of your point Henning. <laughs> Even no. though I totally agree with you that like <laughs> local local politics and like the local people honestly have a lot more power to affect their community than the national systems. I'm like kind of taking this the other direction in my mind too that I think that it's really easy to forget that we are not the only ones in the world who are either trying to make sense of our faith in the modern world or trying to make sense of it as it relates to politics. Like there are certainly global Christians with much different politics than the ones that we come to here in America. Mm. I think it's really easy to like, kind of like what you were pointing out, it's really easy to get lost in like the national politics and forget to think about our local ones. I think on the other end, it's really easy to get caught up in our national or local politics and completely forget about the global ones Mm -hmm. and like other things that are out there in the world that theology absolutely informs Mm -hmm. and that we can be convicted by. Yeah. And that we can still advocate for it, even though we're on the other side of the world.
3: Yeah, yeah, totally. It's certainly a balance. I don't want to make it sound like I'm just like holed up and <laughs> like trying to create right. like a dome of information where like <laughs> all I hear about is what's going on in Billings, you know. But I think if, if I'm trying to build like a hierarchy of what I ought to be paying attention to most, like if I'm going to budget my time and attention energy, I think the hierarchy ought to be built with locality being like the biggest base to that, you know, that tri- that food triangle <laughs> pyramid. Right.
1: You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I I think that we run into the same problem like again, I just like keep thinking about this. I think we run into the same problem with uh Christian or Christian adjacent or post-Christian even representation of politics. Like I think it's so easy to think that we have Jesus and Christianity figured out and what <laughs> we're being pointed towards. Yeah. And just, it, it's just so easy to ignore that other Christians come to different convictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And wow. Like for instance, uh, today, this is kind of an announcement, I guess here at the end, but we Ravel just got approved to be listed on a Bible app, which is pretty sweet. Big hype. Yeah. It's, very it's, cool. it's called our Bible app. But it's, it's interesting that we're having this conversation today, which by the time this comes out, uh, we will officially be listed. So if you came to us from our Bible app, welcome. We're glad to have you. Uh, but our Bible app specifically brands itself as an app for progressive Christians, which mm. certainly appeals to anyone who identifies as a progressive Christian, right? But personally, I don't think Ravel is exclusive to progressive Christians. I don't think we're, I don't think we're exclusive to only American Christians, even if we're all American Christians. And most of us who are on the show tend to lean left on issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it, it's just so easy to do it myself that I just like want to be disciplined in. Like, I don't want to forget about the other ones out there. Wow.
3: That's no, great. I think that's
2: completely you know? true. Well, and proof of that is that I listen to Ravel and I love it and I love you guys. And uh, <laughs> I am very much not progressive uh, at all, honestly. And as I said, I'm really interested in orthodoxy and uh, the Orthodox Church. And going back counter to what you just said earlier, it, it, opposite of what you were saying, It's I'm so attracted to because I'm like, oh, actually maybe the people that lived during Jesus' time actually did have it figured out and they actually did know what was going on. And hmm. uh, I'm kind of harking back to some of that tradition and knowledge and teaching of of the saints and things like that but i encourage anyone listening to dive into all sorts of viewpoints especially when it's concerning your faith you know use it to, and especially with something
1: like politics that like so obviously even if we like we disagree with each other it so obviously affects the world around us Mm -hmm. and people right in front of us
3: yeah right
1: i think it's totally worth considering even if there's not a clear answer like for me in this conversation i don't know if i'm convinced anymore about how my faith does affect politics but I think that thinking about these things and having conversations about them will point us in the right direction if we have them yeah, in absolutely. good faith
3: mm. very good man I am so delighted by these worlds colliding I was really looking forward to the two of you meeting today so I'm I'm just I'm very happy with <laughs> with everything that happened I love this heck yeah I mean we, Me we've,
2: we've experienced each other years and years ago back in the day in Billings at uh, a couple beer philosophies um, that's right. That's OG right. Beer philosophies, um, plenty of late night conversations at I guess what was off the leaf.
3: Um, oh yeah, that's right. Here and there, so Josh and I, we've you know, there you go. We've been around the block, our, our paths have crossed. Yeah, so a time or two. So what we can say is Josh probably Josh might know Torna better than Josh knows Emily still. <laughs>
1: That might be true. Oh no. Oh, no.
3: We got to fix that, <laughs> so my funny. friend. We got to fix that eventually. But, um, Mr. Torna, would you tell yes. us where people can connect with you, um, like on the internet and stuff and, uh, point them to Whiskey Vench as well?
2: Yes, absolutely. So I am pretty active on Instagram. So if you guys want to check out some of my photography and the cooking and the shenanigans that I get up to, uh, my personal Instagram is at mountain torna and that's m-t-n underscore t-o-r-n-a and then you can check out all the whiskey bench stuff on instagram uh, we have a tiktok now and twitter
3: uh, at whiskey bench pod and that's whiskey with an e we always gotta <laughs> that is because there's many ways or there's two ways of spelling that word in the american yeah. ways with an e and we're american and even if so. you're
2: you know I encourage if you're a fan of fun cocktail recipes and things like that, even if you're not super into whiskey bench from the political side and everything like that, love to have you come over and at least check out the pictures of the cocktails, get some recipes, send me any inspiration you have for cocktails, my direction, end up featuring them eventually on the show. Food and cocktails are a great way to get people together as well.
3: Oh, Um, it absolutely is. That is true. Set aside your differences.
2: You know, this goes a little deeper. Set aside your differences in meat you know each other at the table mm-hmm.
3: um
1: yeah oh yeah heck yeah okay
3: <laughs> that's what we symbolically do and that's why we always ask like what we're drinking at the beginning of ravel is kind of exactly it just creates uh, another touch point you know exactly
1: well let's end on that high note i like that Do you mind if i toast us out of here since yeah. we don't have emily can to i give close us a can
2: i close on one thing because oh, henning mentioned yeah, that i do. could maybe do like a little benediction or something like that yeah oh um, yeah please do
1: yeah you go for we'll it we'll
2: give it to torna this is uh, something that's, I've hurt my back recently and I've had some motivational issues with work and things like that. Um, and I know a lot of people in this last season has either through sickness or loss of work kind of have got out of that mojo or lacking motivation and inspiration and things like that. And so there's a great little prayer that the Orthodox pray. Another tag of Orthodoxy. They have prayers for everything and it's beautiful. I love this. Prayers for being thankful prayers for coming across uh, conflict like anything you can imagine there's even historical prayers that mothers would pray while they wash their children they're so in tune with that but mm. there's one that's called prayer after any task and I think that's important for all of us as we go out and and do what we have to do each day um, but it's thank you lord for your strength and guidance in my work You are the fulfillment of all good things. Fill also my soul with joy and gladness, that I may praise you always. Amen.
3: Hello and welcome to No Normal People. I'm Steven. And I'm Dixie Lee. The internet didn't need another podcast interviewing
1: the same famous authors, artists, and thought leaders.
3: Dixie, my friend Bailey educated me about a word called Sonder. And this is the realization that any stranger or passerby you see has a life equally complex, deep, and vibrant as your own. So join us every Tuesday as we talk to the normal people in our lives and hopefully inspire Sonder in yours. No normal people. It's like Humans of New York, but a podcast and in Montana. Highline Media Network, normal people in normal places.